If God wants us to believe in Him and have a relationship with Him, then why hasn't He given us more evidence? Why hasn't He made the evidence clearer? Why does He seem to be hidden? Or has He given us the perfect amount of evidence in just the right way? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zucharin. Today, Pat will examine this topic and take us back through history for answers. And by the way, it's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat? Yes, thanks a lot, Kevin. You know, one of the questions we're always asked is, why isn't there more evidence? Why doesn't God make His presence so obvious that everyone will turn and repent? Why isn't there more evidence? That's one of the challenges I constantly get asked by atheists. And here to help us answer that question is my colleague from Pro Ministries, Don Clausen. So, Don, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Pat. It's good to be with you. Well, in answering this question, let's first address one of the atheist challenges. Atheists allege that the burden of proof is on the theists, that the burden is for us to prove conclusively beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists, while the atheist doesn't need to prove anything. How do you answer that, Don? Well, you know, that's some of the product of uh, a lot of writing and thinking from Anthony Flew over the last half century. And even even he came to admit, and as have many others, that atheists aren't just saying what isn't the case. They have a worldview that they're promoting. They have a set of presuppositions that they hold by faith, that they wake up with every morning thinking the world is just this way, whether it's about human nature, about ultimate reality. You know, they're naturalists. They're materialists. They're saying this is the way I think things really are. But they're also holding that by faith. So they're not just sitting back saying, well, I don't think there's this God. They're promoting a very positive kind of worldview. So they're, they're responsible just as equally as we are to defend their worldview. Right. You know, they've got some presumptions or some positions that they also need to prove. You know, Don, just, why don't you name just a couple that they need to present a positive case for? Sure. Well, that... Everything that we see, everything that exists is a product of time and chance. Uh, the most complex natures uh, or functions of the human cell or any kind of cell are there by chance. Uh, the most complex uh, aspects of the universe, when we look out, uh, those are here by chance. And, and they, have to, they have to prove why that can be the case. Right. You know, another important premise is that, you know, life began from non-life somehow by chance or by the uh, natural uh, forces, which is also another thing that uh, they accept by faith. So the burden of proof is not entirely on the theist, and the atheist simply sits there and can criticize his position. They also need to present a positive case for their position. They will often say, Pat and Don, that atheism is not a worldview. Well, maybe there's a technical point that they're making there that's accurate, but atheism, if anything, is a subheading of an overarching view that you've already mentioned, that is naturalism. So if you have a naturalistic worldview and you wish to defend that worldview, then you share the burden of proof. So if they say atheism is a worldview, we'll say, oh, well, then are you a naturalist? Sure. Because that is one of the major worldview options. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Let's set aside your atheism and just ask, you know, do you believe in a naturalistic worldview? And, you know, if, if you do, you're making faith claims about the nature of reality. Well, one of the things we need to begin with is what do they mean by evidence? What do they mean by that? Yeah, evidence is always a sticking point because evidence is very personal. When one person says, well, I want more evidence, they could be thinking one thing, and, and the person trying to give them that evidence thinks of that, uh, that word in a much broader sense. It, that word has a fairly broad semantic range, if you will. Some people think it's mathematical scientific evidence. That's the only evidence that will satisfy them. In fact, there's this tradition in the West of uh, some call it scientism or logical positivism that science is the only producer of evidence of any kind. And of course, the problem with that is, is proving that that's the case can't be proved scientifically. Uh, you have to prove that metaphysically or, or philosophically. So that died out quite a bit philosophically, but it's still around. It's part of, uh, part of our culture that if it isn't science, the evidence isn't scientific, it doesn't carry much weight. But really, we, uh, we deal with a lot of life and death death issues in our uh, culture um, based on evidence that isn't scientific. It's much more historical or the kind of evidence that will often be found in a court of law where we have testimony, we have primary documents. Um, certainly we can use some tools of science to affirm the validity of some of that evidence, but the building the case is not a, like uh, a case that a scientist would build in a laboratory. It's more the, the case that a historian built. So there's a difference between the scientific method and the historical method, is what you're saying. Explain a little bit of the difference between those two. Yeah, um, when you're building a case uh, for a historical event, you want eyewitness accounts. And of course, then there's a whole set of procedures that go around into validating the, the, the authenticity of those accounts. Are they accurate? And, you know, a historian has all kinds of tools for doing that. Uh, it deals with text evidence, and there are all kinds of uh, ways that you validate uh, a, a document, a manuscript, as to its age and, its again, its authenticity. Um, but the, the historian will use uh, much more of, of, of eyewitness accounts, textual documents, even government documents, archaeological uh, findings, those kinds of things, rather than repeatable laboratory experiments. Right. The scientist has states a hypothesis, and then he does experiments that are repeatable, and then he presents his theory. Whereas in looking at a historical event, you can't do that. You can't bring back Napoleon or um, the um, Battle of Gettysburg and observe it over and over again. We've got to lie, rely on historical documents, eyewitnesses, and those things. Just like in a court of law, we can't redo the crime. We can't test uh, our hypothesis on what happened by redoing it. What we have to do is look at the evidence uh, from a historical perspective, and then we decide based on you know, the overwhelming amount of evidence. Is it evidence beyond a reasonable doubt? And, and that's enough to put people to death in this country, so we, we trust in that system. Right. We take all the evidence and see if, if it is a reasonable conclusion that we come to. We're not going to have 100% mathematical certainty, are we? Exactly. It's, it's a different kind of proof. 
Um, of course, the God question's a big question. So we would expect people to reflect upon it for a period of time and, and seriously look at the question and not do it lightly or flippantly. Um, so when I encounter people who are searching or who say I'm agnostic, um, I, I say take your time. Don't jump to a conclusion. But I do believe there's plenty of evidence. So the question is, if God exists, why doesn't he make his presence so obvious? Why doesn't he put a big glowing cross in the sky? And every day I wake up, there's this thunderous voice that comes from the clouds that says, I'm God, I'm here, uh, and worship me today. Why not? Well, you know, that is a tough question. You have to sympathize with people who ask that question, because if they're a true seeker, if they really want to know if God exists, um, it certainly would be a lot easier to have this uh, miraculous event daily or even uh, constantly in the sky uh, showing God's existence. But I've come to appreciate the idea that God wants a relationship based on faith. It's Let, let me put it this way. If God did put a miraculous, well-lit cross in the sky that everyone on this planet could see and attest to and say, you know, God did that. That's a miracle. That's God's presence. Um, what would happen is there would be intellectual assent. There is something miraculous here. There is something, uh, maybe we call it God, that is present. I can't deny that. And it would force us to all intellectually assent to God's existence, but not necessarily come to him in faith with our hearts. I know a lot of atheists the night that the glowing cross appeared in the sky would be reluctant, reluctantly upset, uh, accepted, but they wouldn't be happy about it. They would uh, be, in a sense, forced to acknowledge God's existence. But what in the world would that do to promote a relationship with him that he desires? Yeah. In other words, if God wanted us just to know he existed, kind of like the old Roman gods, they were always showing off. Uh, God, you're right, Don. God seems to, to want more than that. You know, than just acknowledgement of his existence. The devil knows God exists. Fat lot of good it does him. In fact, there's many places in Scripture where God says, or it t talks of God as hiding himself from those who are wise and even religiously powerful. Um, there seems to be a reality where God has set things in place where he rewards the persistent seeker with his... Um, with his presence, with knowledge of him. And so God wants us to seek him. And if it's impossible to ignore his existence, we have it's just a blunt intellectual reality that God exists and everybody is forced somehow. Of course, I do think some would still say, well, that's a mirage or that's, a, you know, we're all under some hallucination or there's drugs in our water or something. They'd find a way to discount it. Oh, think about it. It could be aliens. Oh, sure. You yeah. know, and, and then T-shirts would start being sold on the Internet, you know, welcome <laughs> the aliens. Or it could, been a, it could be a, uh, a hoax or a NASA experiment gone wrong or with the glowing cross in the sky or... Or, or maybe Microsoft is having a new uh, promotion and they have enough money to pull something off like that. Or there's a naturalistic explanation. See, it's limited. Yeah, no matter what God would do to present himself. You know, we, we hear stories of missionaries on the field where Muslims have a dream that Christ has come to them. And they respond to it because they're seeking. But 
I would think if the same thing happened to many here in the West, uh, they would discount it. You know, we've got Freud to explain our dreams. I mean, that dream is, you know, maybe a desire I have and it's part of my ego and, and all the rest or my id, but uh, it's, it's not God, it's something else. So if you're not seeking God, you will find a way to discount whatever miracles are, are present. We know people walked with Christ and they knew him. Um, they heard him teach. They saw the miracles. And they walked away, and they didn't believe. Um, there have been times in history, we know of you know, four major times in history where God has kind of laid on the miraculous. <laughs> there were times of intense, miraculous experiences. Moses and Joshua in, the, in Egypt in the wilderness, uh, Elijah and Elisha with the prophets of Baal, and Daniel and his uh, companions, the ex miraculous experiences there, and of course Christ and the apostles. And in all those times, it, it was very possible for non-believers, for, for people who didn't want a relationship with God, to, to discount, run away from, to uh, ignore God. Uh, to at least turn away. They couldn't ignore the, the presence of the miracles, but they still didn't turn towards God with their hearts. And that's what God's looking for. Yeah, I see in here, you know, one of the key words that God is desiring a relationship built on love. And it seems the analogy between two people who are, you know, dating or in that courtship relationship, you know, the person just doesn't come out and overwhelm the other person with flowers and money and here's my house and all these kinds of things. They begin very slow. They give just enough evidence that there is an attraction there, and they want to see the other person pursue them. And once that person starts pursuing, they begin to reveal more about how they feel about that other person, and that relationship grows in that arena. Would you guys say that's a good Robert, analogy? Robert Kiyosaki, who's very rich, uh, he wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He said one of the biggest problems of being rich is that you honestly don't know if, if people are your friends because you're rich <laughs> or not. So, would you want to over, so overwhelm that girl that she couldn't help but come to you? Or would you want her to come to you or him to come to you? On and we call that stalking, I think. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think God, you know, he honors our freedom. He honors our ability to choose or not choose him. And I think there's that aspect of mystery, too, that when we don't, have this blunt intellectual reality before us that we can't deny God's existence, we're drawn to the mystery of God as well, and this possibility of relationship. Right, Don, and so how does faith relate to the question here? Yeah, what's the, what's the relationship of faith and evidence? Some people seem to talk like, well, faith is the absence of evidence, and that's certainly not the case. I was drawn to the Christian faith because of evidence. We have to be careful not to say that the evidence, like you said before, is like mathematical certainty. But there is not only a lot of evidence, but growing evidence today. Uh, I, th I think that story of Anthony Flew, the most important atheist, if you will, of the last century, um, coming to the conclusion, not as a Christian, but now as a theist, saying, I believe there's an all-powerful personal creator of this reality, this universe we live in, and of us. And he said, I had to come to this conclusion because of the evidence that we're in a just right universe, that we look at life and the origin of life, and there's no other good explanation out there. You know what he's been saying to criticism, too? So many have criticized him, so many atheists are calling him a sellout or whatever. He says, look, 
I just did what I've been telling you guys to do my whole career. Follow the evidence where it leads. And you're criticizing me for that? Well, that's because their faith you know, is strong in the naturalistic worldview. Uh, and let's face it, our faith forces us to look at evidence a certain way. I think Anthony Flew is an amazing example of someone who really is open to evidence changing his perspective. That's pretty rare. And even at his age, to, to make a change in his worldview is quite amazing. Right, Don. So our faith is built upon the evidence that is there, not upon the absence of the evidence that is there. I guess the question is, is there enough evidence for us to place our faith in the existence of a God? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great question. And where do we start? Well, we start in Romans, where we have the Bible telling us that this creation we live in gives us information about the existence of God. Verse 20 in Romans 1 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, he, what has been made. So men are without excuse. And we live in a time when more and more evidence pointing to this creator God is being uncovered by the scientific method even. It's not just casual observers who look around and say, boy, this is a pretty amazing place we live. But it's people who have scientific training are saying, we're looking at the cell and we see language. We see a code here and we know that codes and languages are the effects of intelligent creatures who cause them to exist. So we're seeing language infused into the creation, which points to an intelligent creator, an intelligent designer. We're looking at the universe and we just see such incredible complexity and the just rightness that Anthony Flew was so impacted by that the major variables that we look at in the universe had to have been just right. And there's so many of them that chance can't argue for it. Chance can't be an explanation for it. So yeah, I think we're we're living in, a, in a, a time when there is more and building evidence for the existence of God than has ever existed. Now that, of course, doesn't speak to what salvation, the salvation story is. That we have to look to God's revelation in Scripture. But it does tell us in a, in a very strong way that a God exists, an intelligent designer exists. You know, Don, one of the questions I get asked is, all right, if there is a God that exists and he loves people, why does he allow them then to go to hell? You know, if I saw a child and he was couldn't swim and he's walking towards a pool, I'd do everything I could to jump in front of him and stop the guy. Well, why doesn't God do that? Well, again, he honors our free will. He honors our, our freedom to ignore him. And I do think people will find themselves in hell out of their choice they made. They wanted to be there. They don't want a relationship with God. I had somebody amazingly a while back call me on the phone and said, I, I know about the Bible. I was brought up in the church. Can you tell me how I can be saved to avoid hell? But I really don't want to have much to do with God. And I, I was amazed at his bluntness. <laughs> I said, you're ignoring something really important about salvation. It's not salvation from something. It's salvation to something. It's salvation to a relationship with God. That's what you're being saved for. And he just went on and on. How he, boy, he just wanted his own you know, free choice and autonomy. I don't want to do this God thing. I don't want to have to be under his authority. But I... I would prefer not to be in hell. <laughs> well, I just, I, I just told myself, what you're describing is hell. 
to not be in a relationship with God is hell. And it starts now, and it starts here, in a great sense. People who are choosing not to relate to God begin experiencing hell here. And those who do choose to uh, accept God's salvation begin to experience that salvation here and now as well. So, you know, I, I think people will choose and they will begin experiencing that choice as soon as they decide their relationship. Now, fortunately, God's merciful and he's patient. And some people can, at the very last minute, choose to accept the salvation God gives. But at some point, that time does run out. One thing that some of these cries for more evidence from God tend to reveal is that people tend to turn away from what God has done and not responded to the evidence that he has given, and but then they expect more somehow. And it's like, I, I've got to tell you guys a story. I was talking to my little first grader, Peyton, and she and I were outside, and it was a beautiful night, stars out, and I said, Peyton, what if we ask God to send a shooting star across the sky to let us know that he's here, that he's there, and that he's uh, thinking about us? And she looks up and I said, you know what I think God would say? I said, do you know what I think God would say? I think God would say, I've done so much more. Look at the stars. Look at the world. Look at the sky. Look at the, the grass and the trees and look at us. And so God has done so much more than just flick a little space dirt. And I explained to her what meteors were. You know, and uh, the next night I was telling my son about that conversation because he's really at, at 13, really wanting to know where evidence applies to his faith, and he's uh, starting to read. And I'm, I'm really glad to, to see that happen. And I told him about the shooting star story and how God reveals Himself and, and some things like that. And about that time, a shooting star went <laughs> across the sky, <laughs> and uh, so he said. Dad, there's no way that was a coincidence. <laughs> and I said, well, it, it, it might have been. Maybe it was a little God nod. But I, I want you to understand how God has revealed himself. And if you're faithful and little, you'll be given more. But I'm telling you, I was stunned. And so was he when, when this. And I'm not telling people to go out and try this. I didn't say, <laughs> you know, God, shoot me a shooting star. The, the point is, is that God has done so much more. The very matter that could even comprise a meteor is what we need to consider when we consider the glory of God. Yeah, when we look at the marvelous complexity of the universe, the fact that this exists rather than nothing is demands some kind of intelligent creator. Well, Don, you know, if the evidence is there, then how do we have a relationship with a God who is, in essence, spirit and cannot be seen? Yeah, that's a real challenge, but, you know, fortunately, we have a faith where God didn't remain transcendent, uh, far away, unknowable, uh, that God took on flesh and walked among us and gave us a, a real in-the-flesh view of who he is and, and how we are to relate to him. So, in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal high priest, if you will, one who mediates for us before the Father, one who is, uh, knows our, our struggles, one who knows uh, what we're up against and has paid the price for all of our sins, has made us righteous in, in God's, the Father's eyes. So we, we have a God, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit. We're told that at belief, at trusting in what Christ did on the cross for us, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. We're sealed 
with the Holy Spirit of promise. God is in us, and he, uh, with our soul, convicts us of his existence. We have a, a personal relationship, a personal exp- experience with this God who created the universe. Uh, that's unique. That's something uh, no other faith system offers us. And it confirms in the heart of every believer that God exists. Now, certainly, uh, we still have a choice as a believer. We can um, seek this partnership. We can be open to this influence of the Holy Spirit that's within us, or we can uh, deny it, and we can struggle against it and and be drawn by the world, if you will. Uh, but if we cooperate with it, we grow and become more Christ-like. And in this fellowship with God, we become more like God. And uh, that's very confirming. Um, we sense our purpose, and we act upon that. And we live a life of purpose that's based on this relationship with God. Well, thanks a lot, Don. Thanks for being a guest on our show and tackling this very difficult issue. For more resources, go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on the probe link, and you see a lot of articles there. Uh, not only by Don, but other members of the Probe staff. And also, you can listen to a recording of this interview at evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin.